Welcome to EMS Cast, where we provide high-level education for you, the providers on the streets. I'm Matt Mendez. And I'm Ross Orpit. Ross, what do you got for us today? I thought we'd talk about an interesting article that was published in the Journal of Surgical Research last summer. Uh, I've been really wanting to get into talking about maybe some more research articles and get a little more evidence based on this podcast and for the paramedics. And so I found this article that's entitled Pre-Hospital Narrow Pulse Pressure Predicts Need for Resuscitative Thoracotomy and Emergent Intervention After Trauma. It is by Schellenberg et al. Matt, how often do you think about or even calculate pulse pressures? (laughs) I don't. Really? (laughs) I almost never think about the pulse pressures either. I know that there are a lot of disease processes that may affect your pulse pressure, either by widening it or narrowing it. But honestly, I can never remember which disease widens or narrows or why. And thus, I honestly don't really think about it, if I'm being honest at all. But I suppose we should start by kind of just defining what pulse pressure is and and what a normal value is. Yeah. And luckily, the paper reminds you what it is uh, for those of us who uh, don't remember, but it's uh, the pulse pressure is the difference between the systolic pressure, so the top number, and the diastolic pressure, so the bottom number. So if you think of the like normal blood pressure that's in every textbook, 120 over 80, you would do 120 minus 80, which is 40, and 40 would be a normal pulse pressure. So disease processes that lead to an increased stroke volume will often increase your systolic pressure without changing your diastolic pressure. Your diastolic pressure is kind of a measurement of your arterial compliance. Thus, if you have an increase in your systolic pressure but a normal diastolic pressure, this is going to lead to a widened pulse pressure. And such disease processes that do this are like aortic regurgitation, hyperthyroidism, among others. And generally, we think about a pulse pressure greater than 100 millimeters of mercury as being widened. Yeah, but we're, this paper and what we're concerned about is the opposite. So that would be a disease process that would um, either decrease the stroke volume or increase the peripheral vascular resistance. So a simple way to think about that would be a disease process that lowers the amount of blood volume you have or increases the amount of adrenaline and all the other hormones that increase our blood pressure. So a classic example of that is what this paper is addressing, which is trauma. In trauma, you have acute blood loss, which would obviously decrease your stroke volume. In other words, how much the heart is pumping out. And in addition, the body is freaked the hell out that you just were in this traumatic event and is clamping down on the peripheral arteries in an attempt to shunt more blood to all the organs that matter. So what you get is a decrease in blood pressure from the decrease in stroke volume and an increase in diastolic pressure leading to a narrow pulse pressure. Now, there are different ways the textbooks have defined a narrow pulse pressure. Probably the most accurate being a pulse pressure is less than 25% of the systolic pressure. So if your systolic is 100 and any pulse pressure is less than 25 would be considered narrow. That being said, having to do fractional algebra in front of a sick crashing patient in the back of an ambulance or on a crazy scene is not that easy. So just remember the number 30 and we'll stick to that simplified approach. That's a systolic blood pressure minus the diastolic pressure that equals less than 30 millimeters of mercury. We're going to consider that a narrow pulse pressure. 
And this brings us to our article. Does a pre-hospital narrow pulse pressure predict badness and trauma? And I would argue it doesn't get much worse than needing an ED thoracotomy. Yeah. So what did they do to look at this? So this is a single center study that was done out of USC LA County. That's a level one trauma center. The researchers in this article retrospectively went back and reviewed trauma patient charts from the time period of 2008 all the way to 2020. Patients were excluded from the study if there were no recorded pre-hospital or ED vitals, if they were transferred from an outside hospital, if they were a cardiac arrest on scene or were missing a discharge diagnosis. And all patients were between the ages of 16 and 60. And they explained why they excluded patients greater than 60. And this, this was because as we age, our pulse pressure naturally widens and varies. And so patients greater than 60 are more likely to have a normal pulse pressure as suggested by some of the literature. So when thinking about this study, it's important to remember that these results may not be applicable or even useful in the elderly. So whenever you hear someone talk about inclusion, exclusion criteria, and the methods, the the big take-home is, does this stuff make sense? And then it's to remember that you can't apply it to the people they excluded. So anytime someone waxes on like Ross is doing, it, it's it's not to bore you. It's to, to give you the tools to use the data in the right population. Yeah, great point. So between this time period, they found just over 39,000 patients who met this inclusion criteria. They then broke these patients into three categories. So those who had a narrow pulse pressure, as defined as a systolic greater than 90, but a pulse pressure less than 30, which accounted for about 5% or 1,800 patients in the study. The next category was hypotension, which was defined as a systolic blood pressure less than 90 millimeters of mercury, regardless of what their pulse pressure was. This accounted for approximately 3% or about 1,000 patients in the study. The final group was normotensive, which accounted for the rest, or about 92% of the study. So the population we care about had a normal blood pressure, but a narrow pulse pressure. Exactly. That's kind of what we're looking at here. So they looked at injury severity scores. Now, this is largely a research marker of just how overall sick a trauma patient is, but it does correlate with mortality and morbidity and length of hospitalization after a trauma. An ISS or injury severity score greater than 15 indicates major trauma. So it's no surprise that the hypotensive patients were the sickest patients, with 37% of these having an ISS greater than 15, compared to just 11% in the normal tensive group. Yeah, and, and honestly, who cares? This is part of every trauma activation criteria. We know they're sick. This is not what the study's about. So the hypotensive people did worse. We already knew that. Great. Now for the good stuff. Right. So what about the narrow pulse pressure group? Well, it turns out that these patients were significantly sicker than the normotensive group, with 21% of them having an ISS of greater than 15. So not quite as sick as the hypotensive group, but if you had a blood, systolic blood pressure that was greater than 90, but a narrow pulse pressure, you were certainly sicker than those who were just normotensive. Now, this trend held true for mortality as well. It was highest among the hypotensive at 12%, followed by narrow pulse pressure at 5%, and then normal tensive patients at just 1%. So this suggests that there is this middle group of patients who are still normal tensive, but who have a narrow pulse pressure. And this group is statistically sicker than the normal tensive patients without a narrow pulse pressure. So it's suggesting that there's maybe a spectrum here, if you will, with normal patients being the healthiest of this group, the narrow pulse pre pressure patients being a little sicker, and then the hypotensive patients obviously being the sickest of the cohort. This trend held true 
for most of the outcomes they looked at in this study, such as need for emergent thoracotomy, need for emergent surgical intervention or any surgical intervention, and then length of hospitalization as well. So the conclusion from this paper was a narrow pulse pressure may be the first warning sign of hemorrhage, and this may allow for an early alert to the clinician of impending circulatory collapse. Matt, what do you think about this paper? Well, I, I thought it was, it's really cool. And I think it, it passes the sniff test. In other words, it doesn't smell like BS. Uh, but this is really for activation purposes is the American College of Surgery or ACS has criteria for what should qualify for the trauma team activation and, and hypotension or blood pressure is one of them. The biggest limitation, I think, is that it came from a single center. And the single center is like the pinnacle of a trauma center. So were all the patients being brought there thought to be worrisome in the first place. In other words, if you're halfway between two hospitals, you don't technically meet any criteria. Did the paramedics see something on scene that made them head towards the trauma center instead of heading towards the level three that was just as equally as far away? I'm not Yeah, sure. so that would have skewed the results to maybe a kind of a sicker cohort overall yep. on this in this paper, right? As those minor trauma patients might have gone somewhere else and not been included here. Yeah, and about 25% or nearly a quarter of the patients who were excluded from the study were excluded due to undocumented pre-hospital vital signs, which theoretically could skew it in either direction, but it could skew it uh, in the direction of this actually not mattering. I, I doubt that that's the case, but it's, you have to take that into consideration. And then finally, the extremes of age. I think it makes sense why they didn't include people who were at the extremes of age, but it is poorly defined like what exactly occurs in age with relation to normal blood pressure and how that would affect pulse pressure. So I think it was a common sense exclusion, but it is uh, a limitation and incompletely defined. Matt, how is this going to change your practice or, or should it change your practice or, or the paramedics in the field's practice at all? I would say that there is, on most trauma team activation criteria in a lot of pre-hospital systems, the paramedic discretion activation. I would say that you should not use this as your discretion. In other words, I would not say I'm activating because they were in a car accident and they have a narrow pulse pressure. You should use all the other things that you've always been using. And where this should happen is what we are saying might have been happening in the limitation. Like if you're between one hospital and the other, and it's not that big of a difference to go from one to the other, and their pulse pressure is very narrow, you know, they're 120 over 100, it would be reasonable to pick the trauma center over the non-trauma center uh, since they're, you know, a relatively simple transport. But I am more excited that when they study this for multiple institutions or if an EMS agency studies this, so you get it from the on-scene data picture rather than from the actual ER picture, what you might catch is that this works and then this will be a way better alert or activation criteria going forward. Yeah, that's kind of what they mentioned is that this is this study really suggests we need more information and that that maybe with future studies, looking at narrow pulse pressure might be actually factored into the uh, activation criteria that we use in the emergency department. But that being said, this is a single retrospective study and they excluded nearly a quarter of the patients who could have been included because they didn't have data for them. So we have no idea how that would have potentially skewed the results. So I think we really need a prospective study that looks to start collecting data and do it in a rigorous fashion to get kind of more concrete data to know how to interpret this. But but this passes the sniff test. Like I said, this makes physiologic sense. It's easy to do. 
you can totally see why this number would be way better than something like heart rate or respiratory rate. So I, I think uh, I'm really excited. I, I hope that they they do the follow-up study and, and uh, we get to see if this really should be a part of our activation criteria. I think this plus capnography and end tidal CO2 readings in trauma could change uh, what activation criteria look like and, and make us a lot better at calling activation. Yeah, I agree. This result just makes sense to me in my mind. But that being said, I I find it challenging to do math, even if it is simple math of systolic minus diastolic in a crashing sick patient. And I feel like there's maybe some more info that you're going to get quicker and more intuitively on scene that will be more helpful in the pre-hospital setting. But that being said, all things equivocal, you have a major mechanism, but a patient who has minimal complaints and you're kind of up in the air about what do I need to do with this patient? How do I need to take them seriously? If you can calculate their pulse pressure in that situation, it might actually be helpful for you. Yeah. And maybe next time we can talk about the data on entitled CO2 predicting bad outcome and trauma. I like it. Future episodes. So I guess that's it, Ross. Thanks for letting us nerd out on the research article. Let us know what you guys thought about this. If you want to hear more about different articles, if you want to suggest any articles for us, feel free to email us at ross at emspodcast.com or matt at emspodcast.com. And we'd be happy to talk about some articles you guys are interested in.